Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, the worship leader, as I've made this joke before, took me exactly where I wanted to go for my message. So I'm very grateful, thank you, to her. Um, <clears throat> that's the benefits of leading it yourself. Um, so I'm just gonna pray. I have a very specific and prophetically led word today um, that, that is directly related to the season of outpouring that we're in. Um, and so before I start, I just wanna pray. So Lord, I just thank you for what you have established through the worship. I thank you, Lord, for your mountain, that governmental realm where the spirits of just men made perfect are, where there's an innumerable company of angels, your blood that speaks a better thing than that of Abel. I thank you, Lord, for that buzz that's there, that ecstasy that's there, that excitement that's there, that joy. I thank you, Lord, that that is the realm of the overcomer. I thank you, Lord, that that was the joy set before you for which you enjoyed, endured, not enjoyed, He didn't enjoy it, but which you endured the cross. I thank you, Lord, that that's your family. I thank you, Lord, that that's our homeland. And I thank you, Lord, that's, from where, that's where we're posted from and where we will return. And I just thank you, Lord, for a spirit of a ascension over this Word. I thank You, Lord, for encounter. And I thank You for openness in the Spirit to that place. I thank You that the mountain interfaces with this room in the Name of Jesus. <clears throat> because what I'm speaking today, um, I've, I've, I've personally, I'm someone who carries a testimony of the mountain. I've been there um, and had a, a, a large experience that I've had shared here bef before, but I will share it again at the end. Um, I think I just want, when listening to this Word, it's, it's a Word that's caught. So if you if you want to, you don't have to open your gates to me, but you can. And because um, and, and, I really believe that like we're in a season of outpouring, Todd would say, you know, does outpouring come down or do we go up? It's yes, it's both. But there is a reality of ascension to the mountain of the Lord. And that, that in Daniel, a rock smashes the statue on its feet and it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. So that's the end time outpouring reality. Um, I'm gonna start by sharing a prophetic encounter that I had a number of weeks ago that this whole word then came from. Um, and it was an entirely unexpected encounter. I wasn't doing anything particularly holy at the time. I wasn't worshiping, I wasn't you know, opening anything up. I was just, I was sitting on a lounge suite playing a guitar and an angel engaged me. And I've got the, the exact testimony here on my phone and I'm gonna read it out word for word. Um, is it incriminating? Kind of, <laughs> but I don't personally, I think, I think this testimony, this encounter is, is very indicative of the, the state of the human heart. And I think everybody in the room, uh, unless you're, you know, like Moses and Elijah transfigured on the mountain, you'll be able to resonate with something in here. So while it does, it's, a, it's transparency within bounds, I don't think that it will stop people from receiving from me. <laughs> Hopefully, but you're free not to if you want. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I was, I'm gonna read it out. So I was in the living room of a house I was staying in, playing a new guitar riff that I was enjoying playing. I wasn't worshiping, I was just playing a guitar riff. Um, I wasn't in a posture of worship. My posture was more pure enjoyment of my instrument. Then all of a sudden I felt an angel come into the room in response to what I was playing. It was almost as though that the subsequent encounter that I'm about to share came off of the strings of my guitar. And I believe that's because, I have thought about it a lot, there was such an emphasis on strings as you'll see. And I believe it's because like the, the Lord's talking about heart strings and the condition of the strings of our hearts. You'll see as the Word goes on. I won't go too much into that, but I just, there was such an emphasis on strings in this encounter. So I was playing the guitar and this encounter just emanated off the strings. Um, the angel, so an angel came into the room 
uh, off the strings of my guitar. The angel's specific form was not visible to me and then I could not see his appearance. I knew he was more masculine with my eyes uh, and there were no specific aesthetic features that I was ab able to ascertain. Instead, I was able to feel the angel as a tangible presence. It's like if someone walks into the room, you can feel them and you know their location and whereabouts, but I didn't have any visual record of what he looked like. Um, the angel's presence was beautiful, holy and stern. He was very focused. Um, and I knew that the angel was sent on assignment for me, but he was not personally engaging or regarding of me. I was like, that's kind of rude, but it wasn't. He, 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 I, I knew that he was, it wasn't rude, but I was kind of like, oh, why don't you say hi? Like he, it says in the scripture, in Hebrews, it says that obviously angels are sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. So he was sent on assignment for me, but he was completely consumed with his task to the point he didn't acknowledge me, but I knew he was executing something that was pertaining to me and probably pertaining to you today. I believe this encounter was for today. Um, yeah, so I knew the angel was sent on assignment for me, but he was not personally engaging or regarding of me. Instead, he was intently focused on the execution of his task. He was fully in service to the Lord and I knew his name was Jasper. Now, nobody cheat if your name's Jasper and you know what it means, don't shout it out. Don't look that up. <laughs> That's a spoiler. And, and I'm gonna tell you his name meaning at the end, but I, I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't like it was a name that I had a, a, an association with, but his name was Jasper. I just knew it emanated from him. Um, at his presence, I was able to sense the realm of worship he was abiding in. It was like his presence exuded access to the heavenly realm of worship he was in and simultaneously it was also like this realm of worship abided in him. It was multifaceted, it was like his presence exuded this realm that I could start to see, even though I couldn't see him, I don't know how it worked. And he was carrying this realm of worship. Um, this realm was a realm of pure worship and praise that was focused, holy and consecrated. It was filled with other angels and felt specifically like a praise-filled court of the Lord. Now court, not in the judicial sense, but in the royal sense, a court is like a family, like it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's a core family court and they, they sit in a room. This is what it felt like. It was like a family of angels or, as, or a, fa a, a, a part of the Lord's family. I don't know. It just had a, had a feeling of a praise-filled court of the Lord. There was a very specific connection this court had of pure worship had to string instruments. Again, I believe it's related to the strings of the heart. And there were many string instruments in this realm being used for worship, many that I did not recognise. It felt as though this realm of stringed worship had resonated with what I had been playing on the strings. And it responded. Um, I loved the feeling of this realm. There was a sense that the worship that, tran this is really important. There was a sense that the worship that transpired in this realm was for the very moment it was played in and for that moment alone. That was its end. There was no further agenda to the worship. There was no greater plan and there was no trade being made. The worship was unto nothing more than worship. It was worship for worship's, worship's sake and I can't emphasise enough the value that was in every moment for that reason because each moment was perfect fulfilment. That's what it felt like. Um, it was entirely complete. It wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't unto anything else. There was no blessing attached. It was just for worship's sake. Um, the agenda was worship and adoration of the Lord. It was a wholehearted and fully sacrificial outpouring of affection. And that agenda was being fulfilled and so there was a completeness that filled every moment. Now, here it gets a little saucy, as in, <laughs> not that it didn't before, but I personally tapped in and out of connection with this. The magnitude of the worship was so requiring of self that I struggled to maintain the posture of the angels. 
I found myself frustrated and I found adverse agendas effortlessly bubbling up from my heart and out of me in the clarity of the holiness. I heard my heart speak things that opposed the value of the moment. Like there was a part of me that completely opposed it. <laughs> and this is why, hang on. <laughs> this is why I think it, it does get personal here, but I'm going to read over. You know what? I'm just going to continue reading it. I heard my heart speak things that opposed the value of the moment and were more concerned with what engagement in the worship could bring me. I even had a thought to take a voice memo recording of the guitar melody I was playing so that it could be exported and used at a later time. And this thought would regularly be considered reasonable for someone who has been given an express mandate from the Lord to write and release worship, which I have. But the purity of this realm and the posture of the angels invited me to be willing for this moment to be the only moment that the song I was playing was ever heard. Every time a further agenda was engaged, I began losing the encounter and access to this realm began to diminish. There was an emphasis on this worship being the be all and end all and this was the perpetual posture of the angels. So it was hard to stay in. Um, and a lot of these things in our hearts fly under the radar in lower frequency moments, but when you're confronted with the purity of holy, sacrificial worship, you're like, oh my gosh, my heart is unclean. And it doesn't have to be hectic, but there's no point in trivialising anything that tethers you to the earth. It's, it's while there are different levels of sin there or different tetherings, which I'm gonna talk about later, anything that tethers you to the earth and prevents ascension uh, is not to be trivialised. Um, so there's more. <laughs> Parts of my heart were frustrated at this realm because it required the highest level of consecration and yielding. The frustration bubbled from a level of disagreement, fractions of me. Now, I say that to say, I don't get up, up here and lead worship from a disingenuous place. I completely adore the Lord. But when you dig down into the dross, there's stuff in there that is opposed to Him. And I think every human heart, unless, like I said, we are fully ascended and living at the mountain, we're tethered by something to this realm. Um, so the frustration bubbled from a level of disagreement fractions of me possessed with regard to the meaningful, meaningfulness of this place and of this moment. The clarity of this realm's atmosphere and the scrutiny of its holiness left no room to hide a thought, nor did grace exist for one wavering internally to remain in that holy place. Hence, I kept descending and tapping out. Everything, every value system, every idol, every false refuge that had easily slipped under the radar in lower frequencies was overtly on display. But not only that, in this realm of holiness and light, the darkness and downward pull of these seemingly small, trivial and harmless things was unavoidably evident. The most trivial things, I mean, one of the things that was tethering me was I want a new car. I'm saying that was it. I saw it in the, in the I won't reveal to you the other things, but that, that one I can. It was, it was tethering me. There was, a, there was a material value that was exalting itself and it was topic, that, that was literally one of the things that, in, that percolated in my encounter. Um, I began to stop playing the guitar and sing a cappella lyrics to the Bethel song. There's a song, um, Holy Forever. Go, All the angels cry, holy. All creation cries, Holy, I just kept singing, you know, you are lifted high, holy, holy forever. And I sung that over and over and over. And, and, and the presence, in my, my engagement with the realm intensified. Um, 
And as I did, I felt the Lord's intimate attention and focus on my voice and that began to overwhelm me. Um, When I felt the focus of the Lord so intimately and intently on my voice, I began to cry and I understood that my voice was specifically designed for worship. Now, there's a reality that that's personal, but there's also a reality. It says in the Word that from Him are all things and to Him are all things. And after this encounter, when I understood that my voice was created, because by the way, this is a cool testimony. People who know me as well, my family, I never used to be able to sing as a child. And I have recordings to prove that. (laughs) And it wasn't until I approached the age of 18 and found the Lord that I'm not kidding. And I've got almost progress voice memos. A voice of singing started to develop to the point that I can now sing and lead worship. So I know that my voice was given to me for worship and I know the Lord can take it away. It doesn't belong to me. Um, And so I understood in this moment that we are made for the worship of the Lord. And so for a while after this encounter, I'm not a person that makes massive sacred secular divides because I've I've seen the Lord speak um, through lots of secular things. Um, And scripturally he does that. But the thing is, I speak for a donkey. (laughs) <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I struggled to sing other songs that were, there's nothing wrong with secular songs, heart speaks, whatever, through music, it's totally legitimate. But I, I knew that my voice was for a consecrated purpose, so I wanted to use it that way. Um, so the Lord's intimate focus, da da da, da um, it was overwhelming, I began crying. Um, and as his presence came closer and, and wrapped me up, I, um, I felt the heavenly company of the mountain that I talked about before. And I felt them inside him. Like they were in him and they were with him and they were at the base of the mountain and they were praising. Um, and I'll read out, I could feel the heavenly company surrounding me in ecstatic praise, joyful and unified, dancing undignified as they do in, a, in, an, in an atmosphere of utter victory. Now they were, which I'm gonna talk about that at the end. Um, They were a reality in the moment, but at the same time, I felt very grounded to the carnal realm, so much so that my awareness of the carnal quenched in the moment my ability to connect with and be caught up to the reality of the mountain. I felt an overall hardness of heart emanating from me towards the experiences I was having. It was like I wanted the earth and was sure it had what I needed more tangibly than what I was encountering, though simultaneously I was certain in the moment that I was encountering everything I needed. So there was a double-mindedness, which the Scripture says it it brings forth nothing. But like I said, it's easy in lower frequency, less moments of less scrutiny to be like, yeah, like I, I, I love the Lord. And then you get deep down into the dross and you're like, wow. Some massive things are opposing him and tethering me to the earth. Um, So some very specific attachments my heart had to the world, one was a car, (laughs) became, not that cars are wrong, you gotta understand that not everything is like bad in and of itself. Material things aren't bad in and of themselves. It's all about the relationship that thing has to you and your heart before the Lord. Um, He was not at all, so, so, Uh, some very specific attachments my heart had to the world became explicitly clear to me, things that had parts of my heart's affection more than the Lord did. The Lord knew they were there. He was fully seeing them and he was not condemning me, but he put forward a strong request that they be surrendered. These things had my heart and they felt like pegs that were anchoring me to the earth. I wanted to ascend and let go so much. I wanted to give these things over to the Lord in a second, but the tethering of my heart to these things was so strong, it was not a momentary fix. So it wasn't like one of those moments where you, I mean, 
untethering can start from an altar moment where you're like, God, have all of me. But these things had ingrained value and were attached to value systems that it wasn't like I could just let, let them go in the moment. It was a process of untethering at this encounter. And I'm not talking about hectic sin, like I said, but that will tether you to the earth too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 it was a frustration. I was very frustrated in this internal tension. I wanted to ascend, but realistically I could not as my allegiance was with these things. They pegged me strongly to the ground like weights and they felt like stones. And essentially what, that's what they are. They're stones in your heart, levels of hardness of heart, which I'm gonna talk about. Uh, this, this internal conflict continued and ultimately the encounter finished as I could not fully yield myself to ascension as my allegiance and desire for these earthly things had too much currency. These things had inhibited the magnitude of the encounter all the way through in that they tapped me in and out, but now they had fully caused an ascension experience to cease. So that was frustrating. Um, now, this is, the, this is the last paragraph. Now fully out of the encounter and present in the world's realm, a scripture pulsated through me on repeat. And it was, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again and again and again, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is what I wanna talk about today. I wanna talk about where your treasure is. And a lot of us have treasures in places that we don't even realise our treasure is there. And I'm going to explain what the word treasure means because it's, it's different to probably what we think. And our tetherings are also probably different. Tetherings, I mean, things that ground you to earth. But can you put up the scripture, uh, so Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21, that, that the Lord spoke to me at the end of that? Yeah, the one previously, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay out for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, can you put up Psalm 119 verse 25? Todd has quoted this one many times. Uh, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Now leave that up. That word clings, clings to the dust. It means in Hebrew, it means to be joined to something as to a spouse so intimately connected to something. It means to be overtaken by something. It means to be deeply attracted to something or it means to be stuck together to something. Now that was the dynamic that was outplaying in this encounter that was preventing because my treasures, my heart was treasuring, it was cleaving to, it was overtaken by. And like I said, something as small as desiring a new car, which is a legitimate desire for me (laughs) in the name of Jesus. No, which is... (laughs) which is a legitimate desire and I will get that, but it's all about the place that car has in my heart before God and how much value or identity I'm putting in that thing. So um, can you put up Ezekiel 36 verse 26? I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Can you leave that one up? Christina alerted me to this. The word stone there, in Hebrew, it means to have built something. So anywhere that you've built a connection, a tethering, um, a, you've joined yourself to something, down here, your heart becomes a heart of stone towards the Lord in that area. And it's those things that when we're worshipping the Lord, that completely prevent our ascension or that take our focus this way or that cause us not to 
bestow value on the present moment. That's why the angel, like with a song, I'm a worship leader, I'm called to write worship songs. I've had warning dreams about not writing worship songs. It's an urgent mandate. But in, in, the, in the encounter, I was like, I'm gonna record this because it's amazing. And the invitation was to be willing for that moment of worship to be the only moment that that song was ever heard. And I had to value that moment enough to be okay with that. And that was an intense and heavy um, invitation to consecration, which is why I kept tapping in and out because it was so hard to hold that holy weight. Um, this is the big one. This one's been quoted, I think. The next one is Psalm 24, verse three to four. I think, I think someone might be able to correct me. I think before the Welsh Revival, somebody read this out, a boy read this out. Um, and then it kick-started a, a huge, does anybody know what revival that was? Hebrides, oh, wow. Well, that's timely. That's where, that's where Todd and Rose, they're there today. They're landing there today, they're going there today. Um, so this was read out in one of those revivals and it kick-started a huge process. But who may ascend to the hill or the mountain, which is what I'm gonna be talking about, the Lord, or who may stand in His holy place? Next one. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn. Now, pause that. The word clean there, it means something empty, something purged, something just fully surrendered. And that's the only way that you can, you can ascend. Um, and the word vital, oh, sorry, idol there means vanity, uselessness. It actually means devastation or a storm. And that's linked into when Jesus said, the he who hears his sayings of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storms come, his house won't fall for it's founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, who does not join himself with me, he'll be like a foolish man who build, builds his house on the sand. And when the storms come, the house falls and it emphasises that great is the fall. Um, and so... To ascend and to let go and to give yourself over to the Lord, um, your heart cannot be tethered. It has to be clean, it has to be empty, it has to be pure. You can take that down. Now let me talk about what our tetherings could look like because to give people insight, some people in the room might be thinking, oh, I'm pretty clean, but let me just read out some things. And you might be. Um, I'm not saying people aren't, but I don't see anyone's face glowing on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Um, but tetherings or you can call them false refuges, a lady called Anne Hamilton, we teach some of her stuff in Luminate, um, call it false refuges. Basically anywhere that you go, uh, habits, behaviours, things that we lay our lives down for uh, in lieu of God. I'll give you some classic examples. Well, material assets is one. Um, like I said, none of the things on this list are necessarily bad in and of themselves. It's all about the relationship that your heart has to them before God. Um, material assets, you might have identity tethered to a vehicle. That, that was one thing that kept me down. A house without a mortgage, that's a good thing in and of itself, but does it have your heart above God? Um, an image that you're developing through clothing or otherwise, again, a good thing, but does it have your heart before the Lord? Career pathways, job identities, fine, but do they have your heart? Are you working to serve them? Are you tethered? Are you bound? Uh, do, do they are you deeply attracted to that before God? Or is it emanating from your relationship with the Lord? You've got your classic crutches like food, alcohol, sleep. They are not, sleep is actually a massive one. People use sleep to dissociate. You know, they, they use it as a refuge um, instead of going to the Lord. Binge watching, another classic one. Shopping, add to cart. That's one of mine. It's like, there was a, there was a meme where it's like a lady on a psychologist's couch and 
the psychologist says, what do we do when we're sad? And she goes, add to cart? He's like, no. But, but that has been, it's a massive one, buying you things to take you, to, to, to get, to generate joy, you know? Um, you know what? Emotions can become things that tether us. If you just, if you take your anger out on your spouse, your kids, if that becomes a refuge of release for you and instead of bringing that to God, that'll tether you. Um, sadness, sulking, behaviours, um, procrastination, they all actually become idols. We end up idolising that behaviour or that modality of coping before God, it'll tether you. Um, overworking can be one. Uh, you know, if you idolise your job, if you use it to dissociate, if your image or your treasure is there, if your tethering's there, before the Lord, again, none of these things are necessarily bad. Um, adrenaline can be one. If you're just going for the next experience, the next, I just need my next high. Again, experiences are amazing, but do they have your heart? Even religious habits, by the way, prayer can become an idol. Um, the, in the name of Jesus can become an idol uh, or, or a false refuge because you're not actually administrating the name and the nature of the Lord over the situation. You're just putting your little rabbit's foot out there and it actually, it's actually disassociative. It is. It is. <laughs> um, overthinking, you know, using your brain to rationalise as though that gives you some level of relief or safety from something. It doesn't. So there's so many things. This is a non-exhaustive list. Um, but again, can you put that scripture up? Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. The very first one I gave you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just leave that up for one second. Jasper, I looked up his name. Does anyone have any guesses? Does anyone know what it means? It means keeper of the treasure. Uh, it means treasurer someone who oversees what's precious. And that's what he was doing. And that's what he was letting me into. And that was his job. And honest to God, I did not know that. And that was, that was so let's, it's gonna be worth then looking into the root. You can just keep that up if you can, because that's kind of the overarching <laughs> word of today. Um, I, I've gotta look into the, the, the root word of treasure. Now it comes from a Greek word that is like thesaurus, believe it or not. And that means, um, yeah, a, a treasure, wealth, or a deposit. And deposit has connotations of having invested. Because you don't put a deposit down without being in, in, invested in further purchasing. You've given part of yourself to it already, and you intend to give more. So treasure is, um, uh, but if you drill down on the, root, the, the deeper root word of thesaurus, it's a Greek word called tithemi, right? Tithemi. And it, it basically means to be laid down before something, to be bowed before something, to have committed yourself, to have kneeled down, to have sunk down. It's, it, it's a horizontal posture. And so that essentially, tithemi can be interpreted as essentially a posture of preference, exaltation or subservience to another thing. So anything that you treasure or value, you're actually internally in a posture of subservience to that thing. Now I wanna show you some other places in Scripture to really land this and ground this home uh, where, where tethemi is used. Can you put up Acts 7 verse 54 to 60? Now this is talking about Stephen. 
um, who was speaking to the Israelites and they didn't like what he had to say, but he was, he's the first documented, apart from Jesus, martyr for the cause of the kingdom. So when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on the Lord Jesus, calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down, he tethemi, laid himself down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Keep it up. He knelt down, he tethemi, his posture, his treasure was entirely with the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he laid himself down. Not only laid himself down for the Lord, but said, please don't hold these men guilty. I mean, when someone hits you, you wanna be like, oh, you know? But like, imagine, imagine being road rage, you know? Oh, God, don't charge that sin against the Lord. But you, you don't want that. But he's getting stoned, he's losing his life, his treasure is so with the, the Son of Man. And Todd will always say that mostly you see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, but for Stephen, he was standing. And so his posture was, was so laid down, his treasure was in heaven. Can you put up uh, 1 John 3.16? By this we know love because He, tethemi, same word, His life down for us. And so we ought to tethemi our lives for the brethren, leave it up. Obviously, I don't even have to detail what Jesus went through. I mean, it's the greatest act. Actually, the coronation last night, someone, there was a, there was a statement that was made, because it's just, I wasn't meaning to make a coronation word and it's not a coronation word, but there are elements that I can tie in. They talked about, because basically in effect, Charles or the King of England, his posture is not one of, while it's super exalted, it's, it's, the exaltation is relative to the manner of downward posture it's meant to have. Like he is meant to be a servant to the people. I mean, the oaths he made are hectic if he doesn't fulfil them. I don't know how anyone can fulfil them. You know what I mean? But, but his, his, the level of his exaltation is relative to the, the greatest of these is your servant. Hence Jesus, and they said a line in the Scripture, they said something like of Jesus, he, the Son of Man came to ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give His life, lay down His life to Themi as a ransom for many. And they said something like, his, you know, His crown was one of thorns and His regalia was, was His scars. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I thought, uh, like, that is the, that's meant to be the posture of the King, to serve, lay His life down to Themi, put His treasure in that nation to re- restore it back to the Lord. That's why there's such wealth. I mean, there's not, there's a whole lot of corruption, but it doesn't matter. Like that, what I'm saying is the, the exaltation of his throne is relative to the, the magnitude he's meant to go down low. Same with Jesus. Can you put up John 15:13? Uh, greater love has no one than this. Then same thing, then to, to themi one's life for his friends. And so where you're in a posture of preference, Exaltation, like the Lord preferred us uh, or, or subservience to another thing, like your treasure is there. That's what it means to have treasure. It's not just to like something. It's not just to, you know, like have affection for something. It's to be submitted and serving. And a lot of our habits, we serve them like idols, like we sacrifice to them all the time. Our time, our energy, our investment all go into these idols. Like it's modern day idol worship. Not like we're sacrificing animals under a thing. It's like we are literally 
constantly pouring the sacrifice of energy and investment into things that are earthbound, that rust will destroy and that moth will eat. Not only that, we, we don't get to ascend because our treasure's not up there. You can take that down. Um, I wanna talk, I wanna tie this in to the spirit of a soldier. Now, anyone who knows me, like I particularly, sounds bizarre to say, I have a level of affinity for warfare and military. Um, and I understand there's levels of corruption, so I'm not entirely idealistic in that sense, but I, I, I like it in as much as, it says in Romans 1, it says the invisible attributes of God, nature and character of God can be clearly seen by the things that are made. And what that means is many things on the earth are shadows of greater spiritual realities. And actually scripturally a soldier is like, you know, Timothy, um, a soldier, you know, is not concerned with civilian affairs, but it's consumed with the mandate of him who sent him. Like soldiers embody that they are synony- in their original, you know, pure uh, posture. The word soldier is essentially synonymous with martyr. Because what you're doing is you're, to Themi, you're, you're treasuring a flag and you're laying your entire life down for that purpose. Everything. Like that's, that's the posture, and that's what moved me. I, I go to these Anzac Day parades. One, because I'm grateful for the, I mean, there's, I know I'm talking to an area of mass political contention, but I respect the people in generations past that treasured the freedoms that we're enjoying today and laid their life down for me to have them now. My generation has not known physical threat and the removal of my Australian generation, I'm sure, in other parts of the world. But I haven't, apart from COVID was hectic, but <laughs> physical warfare threat, I'm not, I've not been subject to the fear of that. So I, it's almost like I can't properly value what they did for me, but I respect that they, to them. And that's what I get moved by in these Anzac Day parades that I go to because you see the soldiers, they, they salute the flag, you know? And you got the people on the street waving the flag, and it's it's in, it's just it paints such a pure picture of what a spirit of a martyr or what the Lord did, like sowing your life into the soil of a nation for its freedom. And the Tethemi, they're, they're still saluting the flag, and it's all about the flag. And a flag, essentially, because this is where I'm going, the mountain, the flag. A flag represents um, a nation, like all its glory, you know, its heritage, its values, its people, its kingdom, like its institution. That's what a flag represents. And a soldier looks at that, is meant to look at that and be like, I will give my life for that. I'll tethemi, my treasure is there. And they paint this picture very well. Now, I looked up um, the Australian Army's protocol around the handling of the Australian national flag because it is so exalting of the flag. And if you, because I'm gonna talk about our heavenly homeland in a second, because the scripture talks about that. But if you can project the kingdom of heaven and the Lord over this flag, um, you'll see the picture that I'm trying to paint. But basically, these are literally from the Australian Army website, flag protocol. So the flag is to be exalted high on a flagpole so that it can fly aloft and free. And that embodies basically the posture of a soldier's submission to the flag's exaltation. It's like, let this nation fly free. Like, like let it, you know, and if you just project, project the kingdom of heaven over this. And the posture that ideally we have towards it. Um, the flag cannot be placed in a position inferior to any other flag. 
I mean, that speaks for itself. Uniform has to be worn by the soldier when raising or lowering the flag. Non-civilian attire, they say. And, and, so they must be adorned in attire that reflects their submission to the higher mandate. They are not allowed to handle the flag out of uniform. And the uniform reflects denial of self. And it's not like a religious, like, oh, I sacrificed my identity. But the Lord says that when you actually lose your life, that's when you find it. If you spend your life trying to build it, you're going to lose it. And so, you know, that posture of a soldier in uniform, um, they've, den- they've sacrificed their personal expression for service to that thing. Um, the flag cannot touch the ground, as you know, when being raised or lowered. The flag can't be laid on the ground at all. Get this, the flag cannot be flown on a single flagpole with another flag. In other words, you must have no gods before me. It can't even share a pole. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> It's true. Well, anyhow, anyhow. Can't share a pole. It's worthy of its own. Um, can't be used for common purposes like table drapes, masking unsightly areas. We, but we, we, we use the Lord to cover our stuff all the time. Like we use Him as a drape and a masking of the, you know, but we're not actually consecrated and sold out. Um, the flag cannot be flown during hours of darkness unless the flagpole is illuminated. In other words, they won't even let it be shrouded by darkness. It's that precious and holy. Um, and the flag takes preeminence over all other regiment and unit flags. And get this, it's, it's the first flag that's raised and unfurled and the last flag to be lowered. Always is at the, the top of the tree. And I love the, actually, you know, I, I won't sing it, even though, because it's really hard to sing. The American National Anthem. I've been to so many, um, my dad, you know, loves the United States and he's taken me um, on many trips to the United States and he's taken me to many sports games. And you see the patriotism and the love, they, you know, the removal of hats, hand on their hearts for the flag, you know, and even the, the, the anthem itself is about the flag. The exhortation, you know, um, should I sing it now? <laughs> I have to start low. Oh. It's like, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Talking about the flag. What so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. So again, it's about actually a battle at Fort McHenry and how there was a massive war that was going and the flag just remained this whole time through the battle, exalted on a pole. Even, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs burst in the air that gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. All about the flag. Oh, say does our star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free. free. And the <laughs> home of the brave. Um, <laughs> I love it because it, it, if you project the kingdom of heaven over that value for a nation, it's super holy. These things are all shadows of our posture. Now, and you know what? Exodus seventeen fifteen, Moses, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. The Lord's my flag. I'm going to read, I'm going to finish up in a second. Um, and you know what, national anthems, by the way, they're like stirring, exhilarating songs of like, this is, what, this is our nation. You know, athletes sing them, soldiers sing them, students sing them. This is what we're doing it for. And praise is our anthem. It's like, oh yeah, this is what we're doing it for. This is our kingdom. This is our DNA. This is our heritage. This is where my treasure is. Um, 
So they're reflective. All these, all these earthen images aren't actually top of the tree realities. They're meant to shadow and emulate our posture in the kingdom. But let me read to you. I'm not gonna, I haven't got any of this scripture up and I'm gonna end it real, real soon. Hebrews 11 talks about heroes of the faith and I'm gonna read excerpts. Now, it always talks about by faith they did this. By faith they did this, by faith. Now faith, there's a couple of different words. Faith is the substance. I'm, we're gonna leave that revelation for Todd over there because I don't personally <laughs> um, understand anyhow. But faith, if you look at the word faith in Hebrews 11, it's the word pistis. And it means, it can mean a moral conviction. It can mean a persuasion, a belief, but get this. It means fidelity, faithfulness, allegiance, and loyalty. I did not know that until like yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, this works in my message. Because I was thinking about the Lord was impressing, you know, them on my spirit. And I thought to myself, I wonder what faith means because by this, they did all these things. Let me read out a few things. So allegiance, loyalty to a cause or a person. I mean, that's, that's treasure. That's Tethemi. So look, look, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Or should I say by allegiance and loyalty to the heaven's flag. By allegiance, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, by loyalty, by allegiance to the cause, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not even knowing where he was going. And by this allegiance, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Get this, for he waited for, for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now waited, that word you drill down on it, it means, and it has an understanding of origin. So he understood his origin with the nation of heaven. And he did all those things in allegiance to that, knowing that that's where he was from. And he was waiting for that. It's profound, I didn't know this was in there. Um, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when was past the age. Skip down a bit, it goes, there were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say, so soldiers posted for a period of time. Um, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. That's interesting. And, and truly if they had called to mind the country which they had come out of, then they would have had the opportunity to return, but it says, now they desire a better, a heavenly country. Now, if you drill down on the word heavenly country, it means a fatherland, a native town. It actually means a heavenly home. So they had an understanding of allegiance to heaven's kingdom. They had treasure there, that's what it's saying, and by their allegiance. Now, what's amazing and why God's so merciful is like, for example, Sarah, like she produced the Ishmael. <laughs> that we all quote, I don't wanna produce an Ishmael. Well, she did the Ishmael. And she also laughed at the Lord and said, I didn't laugh. <laughs> like he doesn't know, <laughs> did you know I did not laugh? Uh, and yet she's not written here, like Sarah laughed, produced an Ishmael, then she believed. It's like, no, she had allegiance to my flag and he honoured her on the basis of what she did produce. That's the mercy of God. 11, 30, Hebrews 11, 32 to 39, I'm just gonna read it out. What more shall I say? Think about it. all these heroes, uh, the heroes of the faith have allegiance. This is why they're written here because they had allegiance because it was by allegiance that they did this. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith or through this allegiance subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. <laughs> Probably both. <laughs> Anyhow, women received their dead raised to life again. 
Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. How crazy is that? They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony through what? Allegiance, faith, like their heart was there to Themi. They did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, so that our nation, our people, our, our, our ancestors, they're not perfect apart from our mandates fulfillment on this earth. And that's where I want to put up, can you put up Hebrews 12? I'm going to share this mountain encounter because I, I let me read this first. Hebrews 12, 22 to 24. But you have come, because this is where they are. This is our homeland. You've got to think about this. This is our nation state. But you have come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, angels, <laughs> to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, <laughs> to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, I'm gonna share an encounter because this is our homeland, this is our flag, like we wave heaven's flag, it's our mandate to the earth. We're sent to redeem this particular dimension. It belongs to the Lord. It's being camped on and squatted on by the enemy and we have a posting, a very specific God-ordained mandate to this earth to fulfil and then go back there. But we are there now and I wanna share um, because I wanna instill, like this is, this is the very thing that this was the joy and can you put some pa the pads on? Because we're going to do communion at, 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 the, at the end. Um, but I may as well run while I have my encounter because I want you to try and feel the encounter, um, which I have shared before. But this is, the this is the joy, this was the joy set before the Lord. This was why He endured the cross. Family in heaven at the mountain. Uh, and that's what the heroes of the faith did their thing for. So anyway, I was in my room, I was listening to um, actually a movie soundtrack and in the movie soundtrack, um, someone, this man's voice just did a shout. It was like, oh yeah, literally that. It was in the, ah. Off his voice came this encounter. It was like I got caught up into this sound, which we did before when we shouted to the Lord. Um, and I, f I was in my body on the earth, um, but I was primarily here. So it was like a, it was a split experience. And I remember, and for a long time, I couldn't talk about this. My mum knew, I came out <laughs> crying to you. And my dad probably thought I was like having a mental breakdown. He, cause, uh, like, I, he, he saw me as well and I was crying. I remember thinking, oh. like it was, it was, I just couldn't talk about it for about a year because it was so moving. Um, but I remember getting caught up to the base of a mountain. And I knew that the mountain, it was a mountain. It was Mount Zion, but it was God. Like the mountain was God. Um, and I remember, um, I remember being surrounded by a heavenly company and generations, all tribes, all languages, all nations, all people, every tongue. There were, it, was, it was like we were integrated 
It wasn't like if you were married on the earth, you were next to your spouse. If you had siblings, you were next to them. If you went to a church, you were in that group. And I'm sure we are, but what I'm saying is in this encounter, what was emphasised was the integration of all the generations, all the tribes, all the tongues as one blood. And the person next to me, like they felt just as much my family as my family does. They were like, we were, we were, this was my family. This was my tribe. This is my nation. Like this is our glory. This is us, like the kingdom. And I remember everyone was dancing. They were, they were dancing undignified. They put our worship to shame. Not that our worship is shameful at all. But what I'm saying is compared to that, I mean, David said, and I will be even more undignified, you know. And so they were embodying this indignified like praise. They were, it was so beautiful. They were dancing dances that meant something to them on the earth. They weren't all dancing like the same dance. It was all different. But it was relative to what meant something to them. Like there was a man very specifically, he was African. He was in African clothing. He was, he felt like he was born early 1900s to me. And he was in a robe and he had a staff and he was dancing this beautiful tribal dance that I knew he danced on the earth, but he was now being offered to God at the mountain. Um, and I was crying in my body, but I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like it's impossible to cry. Like I could not shed a tear if I wanted to. Like it's like tears did not exist. And I, cause I remember being like, there's so much joy. There's so much joy. I kept saying, God, there's so much joy. There's so much joy. There's so much joy. Cause I'm like, gosh, this is amazing. The ecstasy, the buzz, the vibrancy, like the, 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 um, the life because the atmosphere was pure victory, pure victory. The spirit of the overcomer was in the atmosphere and the victory was founded on the fact that the Lord had overcome completely. And I say this, the devil was removed from memory. I could not bring him to mind in that place. And it wasn't some disassociated amnesic God going, I'm sorry you had a bad time on the earth. Let me just like take that one out. It was because the devil had been overcome. So he was completely removed from memory. And, and you can clap if you want, it was, it's amazing. Like it's the victory of the Lord. Amazing. He was completely removed from memory, it's like entirely. And he couldn't cry. And I remember saying, this is the Scripture where it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain for the former things have passed away. We be like, this is it. Oh my gosh, this is the consummation of the age. This is the end of all things, but it was happening now. I'd be like, this is the end, but it's now. I'm like, I'm here now. I felt like everybody that had ever been created was there. Now, theologically, that would not be the case, but it felt, there felt no loss or absence. It was like, this is our family. And I remember what they were doing specifically. There were heaps of people there. I mean, there were people that I knew there. You're there now. If your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're in the other the mountain. Whether you realise it, it says in the Scripture, we have come to Mount Zion. Like we're at our nation state while we get to execute this mission. Um, and the thing that was most, I suppose, a lot of moving things, but the thing that always gets me is the fact that there was a unified, like I said, and that song that we sung before um, was written here, joining the Hallelujah. Someone's phone. We're bound to your set. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. Anyhow, so the... the, the <laughs> The, you, the thing, wow, that phone's been, sorry. <laughs> the song, the song that, um, I probably made a bigger deal of that than I had to, didn't I? <laughs> Anyhow, but this, this, this song 
that we sung before, Joining the Hallelujah, was written by my, myself and Rachel based on an experience we kind of both had at separate times about layers and layers and layers and layers of praise from generations that had laid their, that had to Themi, that had sacrificed to the Lord, given their lives, had their treasure in heaven. And they were, you know, joining together, joining, there's like an ancient hallelujah, an ancient sound of praise that perpetually rings throughout like ages. And I remember it was, it was like a, oh yeah, exactly like that with all their might. It was like, yeah, never ended, never ended. And it was like in the substance of their shout, it was worthy as the Lamb, worthy as the Lamb. It was like the victory of the Lord. It was like, yeah. And I, and I just remember being like, oh my gosh, I'm at this place and now the victory is now. Like it was the most moving experience and it had within it everything I needed. If I continue to connect with that, to lay my life down for that kingdom. Um, and if you then are struggling with treasuring the Lord, treasuring His Kingdom, if your treasure is in other places and you're tethered, you need to know what those things are and you probably in some elements need to walk out levels of release, but you need to get that place inside you because it's by allegiance to that place that these heroes went through everything they did. Um, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire. And here's the thing, you know what? Lord spoke to me, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Well, it's like, it's like, what do I get through the untethering? Like, like, what, what do I get? Like my treasure, well, you know what the Scripture says? Blessed are the pure, the untethered, the clean in heart, for they will see God. And that is it. That's the treasure. It's not like, oh, okay, well, I, what blessing do I get? What vision do I get if I pray? Well, no, blessed are the untethering in, untethered in heart for they see that place. They see God. And so I'm just gonna pray over you. If you wanna get your communion, because communion is the accent, the communion is the whole reason that that place, and then we'll end with a shout, because that is the DNA. When we did that before, when we sung that song, great are you, what bit out of tune, you, <laughs> Lord, like, yeah, it was like, yeah. And I know I potentially look a bit foolish now, but that, that's it. That undignified, yeah, holy, worthy is the Lamb. And so do you wanna just, everyone just stand to your feet. Holy, holy, holy. Just pray in tongues for a sec. Just get, lift up your voice. Holy, thank you, Lord. Yeah. You put the pads up, just boost the pads, boost the pads, and just, just keep singing out to the Lord. Holy, holy, oh. I lift my eyes to the mountain of God. Oh. I lift my eyes to the mountain of God. Going, lift your praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy. Let it 